Welcome to the sermon podcast of Gamble Street Baptist Church, Fort Worth, Texas. Gamble Street Baptist Church has been sharing the gospel for over 100 years. This podcast includes sermons from our traditional Sunday morning service and our contemporary services on Sunday evenings. We hope God speaks to you through this sermon. For years, my heart had struggled till the freedom came at last. And though I claimed forgiveness, I was a prisoner to the past. But the war within grew silent and my doubts were all erased. For when I saw the walls removed, God was standing in their place. He's pulling down the past. He's tearing walls apart. He's clearing out the storms that were clouding up my heart. He's building my tomorrows on a foundation that will last. There's nothing to see when I look back because he's pulling down the past. Now, I still have times of struggle with the memories in my mind, yet I'm no longer shackled to what I left behind. And now his blood has covered all the things that I regret, for even as the Lord forgives, I'm assured that he forgets. He's pulling down the past. He's tearing walls apart. He's clearing out the storms that were clouding up my heart. He's building my tomorrows on a foundation that will last. There's nothing to see when I look back. Because he's pulling down the past. These are the two verses and chorus of Larno Harris's Pulling Down the Past from the I Choose Joy CD from 1990-something, 91, 92, old, old music. I thought about singing it, then I could barely speak it. Um, and besides that, Larno Harris gets into a register that's obscene. He can't, nobody can get that high except Steve Perry. But uh, it's a meaningful song. And I think it fits the theme of what we're going to be talking about today in the letter to Philemon. So if you have your Bibles, you want to turn there. If you don't know where Philemon is, go to Hebrews and turn left. All right? Uh, You can't miss it there. It may take up one page in your Bible. But I think it's fitting because one of the things that we're going to see in this text today is uh, one man helping another man realize that yet a third man has changed. And that man is Onesimus. So rather than sing the song, I just did good in in good Baptist fashion and just read you a poem. All right. Needed to have a poem for today. The song, of course, speaks of redemption. Now it goes on speaking more about just redemption in our salvation. Clearly what the song is about is helping us to overcome our continued guilt over our past. Knowing that God has forgiven us, we need to move on. Knowing that uh, we sin even after we have become believers, 
we need to move on because as has already been quoted in prayer this morning, whatever we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from every unrighteousness. I like the phrase every unrighteousness better than all unrighteousness because one, it's singular in the Greek if I have to go there today. Uh, every, meaning particular, every individual sin, not just sin collectively. And what we see there, though, is at times we beat ourselves up over things that we've already been forgiven. Clearly, the text today is going to be talking about a salvation forgiveness, but it's something that I think Paul wants Philemon to know about Onesimus, about not holding that against him, and we'll talk more about that in a moment. I think it's important that we recognize all that God has done for us in our salvation. And I think what we need to do is focus on the goodness of what he has done in our salvation and then be encouraging to other people. Uh, before I forget to say it now, I'll say here, or before I forget to say it later, I'll say it here. One of the things I like about the letter to Philemon it is one of those things that he says, you know, you don't need to hold someone else's past against them. Whatever we do, whatever we recognize, whenever we encounter, there are times when we want to look at people from what they used to be as opposed to who they are now in Christ. And I know that may be hard to let go, but one of the things that we need to do is, in this particular case, as we'll read, recognize how important it is to see what Christ can do in another's life, what he has done in our life, and now what he will do in others' lives. I want to read the entire letter to you. I don't know if you've ever had an entire book of the New Testament read to you in one service before, but it's just 20-something verses long. Uh, I'm not going to then go back verse by verse and talk about every little detail of the text, but I think it's important that you get a little bit of an insight. We get a little bit of, of a sneak peek, if you will, at a conversation of one man to another about a third. You don't have to stand because it's going to take a moment, but I do think it's important to read. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his saints and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, Yet I prefer to appeal to you in the, on the basis of love. It is as some uh, other than, excuse me, it is as none other than Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ, that I appeal to you for my Onesimus, my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Uh, formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful to you and to me. I am sending him who is my very heart, my very affection. I'm sending him back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel, but I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do would not seem forced but would be voluntary. 
Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one more thing. Prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be, to be restored to you in, in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with your spirit. One of the things that we need to recognize is that the New Testament documents, the letters, are real letters from real people to real people in real circumstances, dealing with real problems, offering real solutions. And what we need to recognize is at times we look at these texts and we go, what in the world does that have to do with me? This is a very specific letter. It involves one person in community with others. What? does this one short little 25 verse letter have to do with us? Well, we could just back up and say, well, Paul wrote it, therefore it was inspired. We need to keep everything Paul wrote. And I think there's a certain sense to that, but we don't have every letter that Paul wrote. We don't have all the letters that he wrote to the Corinthians, and that was kind of a back and forth. We can see a lot of what goes on in the Corinthian correspondence that can apply to us today, but we look at this letter and we go, what, what does this have to do with me? I'm not a slave. I don't owe anybody anything. Um, I certainly um, wouldn't run away. We could think of all the things that we don't see in this letter about ourselves. But as I want to point out to you, Onesimus's story is our story. Because everyone in this room has been a runaway, whether from a circumstance or a person or from God. And what Paul is doing is taking a runaway and turning him back to his previous owner as a redeemed brother. And so what Paul is doing there is acknowledging what Christ can do in the heart of an individual. This very specific letter has a lot to apply to us. Now, I don't know that you thought when I was originally reading if I was going to do the personification or the impersonation of Onesimus. I thought about it, and I thought, you don't need all that all the time. We need to do something different this time. But I do think it's important to us to put ourselves in Onesimus' shoes. Let's take a little bit more historical background here. One, we know of Onesimus as a slave who has run away. We don't know what he did wrong. We don't know um, how he found Paul or how he knew Paul. There's a lot of speculation there. Clearly, Paul knew Philemon. But Paul didn't establish the church at Colossae or any of the churches in that region, but somehow he met up with these people who have traveled and then went back to their home, established a church. Maybe Onesimus heard about Paul through Philemon. Who knows? It could be that Onesimus, being a runaway slave, went as far away from his hometown near Colossae as he could, and he ends up in Rome, which would be a nice place for a lot of slaves to go and just hide. Then he fumbles upon 
uh, or stumbles upon Paul. Of course, you know that there aren't going to be any accidents in that regard, because as Paul would do, he even says in the text, perhaps it was better that he leave you for a while so that you can have him back. Paul uses interesting language with relationship to Onesimus. Of course, first he calls him his true son or his son in the faith. And Paul only called two other people his son, Titus and Timothy. So for Paul to refer to Onesimus as a son carries a lot of weight. He even goes a little bit further. He doesn't say that the, the NIV says it this way. Uh, the NIV says, let me get the verse exactly right. Make sure I get it right. Okay. He says that Onesimus became my son while I was in chains. The actual text there is more graphic than that. It says I begot him. It's the same language where it says Abraham begot Isaac who begot Jacob and so forth. I begot him. He became my son in the faith. And so we see that precious re relationship that we have there. Obviously, Paul tells Philemon, I'd rather keep him for myself. And then what he can do is represent you in service to me. Because by sending Onesimus back to Philemon, well, Philemon's not going to leave his home and come take care of Paul and, and, and be with him while he's in prison. Rather, he knows it's important for Onesimus to go back. Paul mentions Onesimus in one other letter, and it is in that companion letter to the Colossians. And at the end of that letter, Paul mentions Tychicus or Tychicus or Tychicus or however you want to pronounce his name and commends him to the Colossians and then mentions also Onesimus where he does call him um, not only a son, he calls him that in Philemon, but he calls him a faithful and beloved brother. Terms that are used in other places for only a few people in Paul's group. He's already referring to him as that. You get the impression then that when Paul sends the letters to the Ephesians and the Colossians, because Tychicus or Tychicus is mentioned there as well, as they make the route from uh, Rome to Ephesus, then to Colossae, further inside Asia Minor, Tychicus is there traveling with Onesimus. Maybe they drop off the letter somewhere in the Ephesian region where it makes its circulation in that area. Then they travel inward uh, and further inland to Colossae. And both of them are mentioned together. And then it's just Onesimus. Tychicus is not mentioned in the letter to Philemon. Others have sent greetings, but there's only Onesimus. Can you imagine having wronged your master? Paul says, you've got to go back. This is the right thing to do. And if anything, he needs to see that you are changed. Onesimus likely sends this letter. And can you imagine as Philemon opens it, two things going on. First, Philemon is opening it, not alone, but in company with others in the church. Side note, that's probably a little bit of pressure on Philemon from Paul's part to make sure there's an accountability measure there. And then Paul uses some other subtle language throughout the letter to indicate that it would be better that he take Onesimus back. But can you imagine as Philemon is reading this letter, and or Philemon's reading, and Onesimus, Onesimus is sitting there wondering, okay, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? What's going to happen? He doesn't know what's going to happen. But he awaits. Paul then talks about receiving him. Now, Paul does use some subtle language. He's like, you know, um, 
you're in the faith because of me. Uh, I've done so much for you. I am an apostle. Uh, I could appeal on the basis of obligation, but I'm appealing on the basis of love. He is putting that forth, but his ultimate motivation is love. Love for Onesimus, love for Philemon, obviously love for Jesus. So that as Onesimus goes back, there's every assurance, at least from Paul's advocacy side, that Onesimus will be received. I'm sure that Paul allowed Onesimus to read this letter before he then delivered it, knowing that there would be every word of support on his behalf. So he reads it. The question is, did it work? We don't know exactly what happened. Uh, I would venture to guess the fact that it was still in our presence today that it worked. Um, we'll talk more about some possibilities a little bit later. But I want us to think about this for a moment. Onesimus leaves. He's wronged his master. We don't know what he did wrong. Paul alludes to the possibility that there might have been some theft, but that's not even assured. He just says, if he's done anything, I will repay it. And as a matter of fact, what Onesimus did doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter because it only represented the fact that he was unsaved. He was not in relationship with God. Paul tells us that when Onesimus encountered Paul, it was through Paul's witness that he became a believer. Now, again, we don't have a lot of answers to a lot of things that were going on in that time and how it all went. I'd love to develop a backstory here, and others have written fiction novels and things about Onesimus and uh, have tried to put together something there. Uh, the key issue, of course, is what happened to Onesimus as a result of coming into relationship with Paul. Paul did what Paul does, and he shared the gospel with people even in chains. And who knows what Onesimus did to encounter Paul in prison. Maybe he had done something wrong. Who knows? Maybe he is a part of a company of people that visited Paul. Again, there's so many questions unanswered. And yet what we have is Onesimus going back. I want to stop down and talk about the fact that Onesimus' story is our story. We need to recognize that, as we've said before, we've run away. We've been separated from God. And it may be that Onesimus' early story is still your story. In other words, you're running. You're here, but you're not really in relationship with God. It may be that as you watch online, you're watching, but you're not in real relationship with God. You are like Onesimus, running away from the pain and the crime and the hurt that you've caused. You're running from it. And what you need to do is turn to the one who's chasing you. The Heavenly Father, through Jesus, is chasing after you. And it may be, and hopefully it'll be, that you'll run into a, your Paul, if we would say it that way. Someone who would then turn your heart to God and lead you into a right relationship with him. May God turn you from a runaway into a redeemed individual. What we recognize is that for us, the ultimate decision that we make is to turn to Jesus. What we need to recognize is that the most important decision we make 
is what are we going to do in response to the gospel call? What are we going to do when encountering the truth? Fortunately, with Paul and later Philemon and his support group, so to speak, we understand what Onesimus is able to do. He has the support. One of the things that Paul is doing then with Onesimus is saying, don't hold his past against him. Receive him back as you will, but I challenge you to receive him back no longer as a slave, but as a brother. One of the things that Paul does in this letter early on, right after he mentions Onesimus, is he builds on a word play. He says, Onesimus was not useful to you, but now he has become useful to you and to me. Onesimus means useful. In Christ, he finally lived up to his name. Now, I'm not one to make a lot about biblical names and overreaching at times for the meanings of names, but I think Paul does the very thing here and saying he is Onesimus. He is useful. His usefulness came because of his relationship with Christ. The other thing that Paul does when he describes Philemon is he talks about refreshing the hearts of the saints. He says, you've been in partnership with the faith. Obviously, Philemon is a good, good witness and a good leader in his area. He has refreshed the hearts. He has been a blessing. Paul then says, even as you have refreshed the hearts of the saints, refresh my heart. There's so many other little details in that letter and word plays that I'd like to share with you. Time doesn't allow us to do that. The key issue here is to identify ourselves with Onesimus at this point to think about what we need to do in response to a call from God for salvation. But I do think it's important to go back and see how Paul does this. He recognizes the love that he's experienced from Christ himself, and he wants to appeal on the basis of that same love. What he wants to do is turn Onesimus back so that he can then have a true relationship with Philemon and Philemon with Onesimus. A little bit more backstory here. We do know that in the letters to Ephesians and to the Colossians, Paul gave what we call the household code. And that is he talked about the relationship of the husband and wife, the parents and the children, and the slaves and the masters. And what Paul does there is he gives instructions not only to the subservient ones in the relationship, the subordinate ones, like the wives, the children, and the slaves. And he gives instructions to the, those in the authority, the husbands, the parents, and the master. We would think that Paul could take the opportunity at some point to decry slavery altogether. He doesn't do that. What he's doing early on is trying to help Christians navigate their world. What does it mean to be a Christian parent? a Christian wife, a Christian husband, a Christian employer, and a Christian employee, and how, in relationship to one another, does that take place? Now, we do know in 1 Timothy, he does decry the idea of slave trading. So, while there would be people who would, you know, put themselves in bonds to slavery, uh, those who would slave trade would be, of course, um, condemned. What I think Paul is doing here is while he gives instructions on what it means to be a master and a slave in the Christian home, he wants to go a little farther. And he takes a chance right here with Philemon to say, I think it's best that you don't take him back as a slave because he's no longer really a slave. He is a brother and you should receive him as a brother. 
one of the things we see taking place, and I think of two specific scripture here with regard to what Onesimus embodies for us. First, Onesimus embodies for us 2 Corinthians 5.17. In Christ, all things are made new. We are new creations. Paul is asking Philemon to receive Onesimus back as a new creation. The other text, more familiar perhaps, maybe not, but Paul in Galatians 3.28 said, In Christ there is neither male nor female. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither Greek nor Jew. What Paul is doing here is not denying gender. He's not denying different ethnicities. He's not denying social um, places in life. What he's saying, though, is in Christ, those things are below. The most important thing is the relationship we have with one another based on our relationship with Christ. The fact is that slave and free alike, as Christians, the greater relationship is being a brother or a sister in Christ. And that's what Paul is trying to do here. If you want to say it this way, perhaps what Paul is doing is something we've said in our culture. We may not be able to change the system, but we can change one heart at a time. And Paul is implementing some kind of change there that would lead to something that would spread. And in fact, ultimately, we do see Christians moving to having that kind of relationship. We see where slave and free, slave and master could work together side by side. And they would identify as brothers and sisters in Christ. One of the things we see then taking place here is Paul breaking down a little bit at a time. What he's doing is he's pulling down Onesimus's past so that Philemon can see Onesimus new. I said a moment ago and have been speaking the whole time about this being Onesimus's story and our story. It may be that you are Onesimus and you're awaiting your Paul. It may be that you're Paul and you're in a position to be an advocate for an Onesimus. And of course, it may be that you are Philemon and you need to be convinced as well to be uh, receiving of the one. Now, what you need to do, of course, is focus in on Christ. The most important thing is about receiving Christ. That's what changes everything. I asked earlier, did the letter work? And we can't know for sure. I think it did. I think by, verse, by virtue of its being preserved, it worked. You know, I've read uh, a book by, about Paul entitled Rediscovering Paul. It's a book that I use in one of my textbooks. And uh, one of the questions asked in the letters to the Corinthians is, it, is did the letter work? Did the letter to the Galatians work? Did the letter to the Corinthians work? Um, we know there were a lot of problems there, and, and we... we we at least know that there are solutions given in those letters that we can implement for ourselves today on a corporate level and obviously on an individual level. Did it work? We don't know if this is true or not, but church history, uh, church tradition, particularly in the Eastern Orthodox Church and in, among Ignatius of Antioch in, um, who died in 107, declared that there was an Onesimus of Byzantium, or the Eastern Orthodox Church calls him the Holy Apostle Onesimus. We do know that there was in Ephesus a bishop named Onesimus. The question is, is this the same Onesimus that was a slave? Can you imagine if so, God took a slave to become a brother 
to become a bishop, the change that Christ can make in a life. This morning, I want to appeal to you that you allow God to pull down your past. Again, that song originally is about dealing with self-guilt and be reminded that God has forgiven you and you need to move forward as hard as it might be. But it all starts with that initial forgiveness. It all starts with looking to him and recognizing what he's done for you. And then what we do is we work day by day to live in growth in our relationship with him and with others. And what we need to do then is see what God will do for us. We need to be pulling down that past. It might be that you need to have that past initially pulled down, that you need to have Christ come into your heart and take you over and become your Lord. It may be that you need to renew that. It may be that you have some other decision to make. We're going to have a song of invitation. We sing a couple of verses of that song. And if you have to make a decision, I pray that you will do that and offer up yourself to the Lord to let him change you, to let him work in you, and to allow him to take you from being a slave to your sin and free you so that you may have a full and loving and eternal relationship with him. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Gamble Street Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. If you have questions, we would love to speak with you. Please call 817-926-1785 to speak with a minister. If you live in or will be traveling to the Fort Worth area, we would love to have you visit. Gambrel Street Baptist Church has six church goals to reach the lost for Christ, to learn more about Christ, to touch the city through Christ, to train leaders to serve Christ, to embrace the world with Christ, and to build strong families in Christ. Please join us for our next episode.